Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Coach the Coach Radio. Brought to you by the Business Radio X Ambassador Program, the no-cost business development strategy for coaches who want to spend more time serving local business clients and less time selling them. Go to brxambassador.com to learn more. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach the Coach Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have with us Steve Smith with Growth Source Coaching. Welcome, Steve. Lee, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. Well, I'm excited to learn about your practice. Tell us a little bit about Growth Source Coaching. How are you serving folks? Well, my, you know, look, there's a lot of coaches out there. It's a, it's a very, very growing field over about the last 20 years. So when I got into it back in 2008, I made the decision to focus on the individual. Of course, they have to be in some business profession, owner, executive, somebody in a leadership role. But the whole idea was to work with individuals to help them get out of their own way and to achieve you know, levels of performance and, and personal satisfaction that were way above anything that they had experienced to that point. Now, what's your background? How did you get into coaching? Well, I had a wonderful 30-year career in consumer products manufacturing. I worked with companies like General Mills and Lysol Chemical. I was with a small pharmaceutical company for a while. And when I finished with that entire industry, of which I had learned an absolute ton. I mean, I, I could not have asked for a better training ground for what I'm doing today. But, uh, you know, in 2008, it, I was done with it. You know, I, I was traveling way too much. It was just becoming fatiguing. And all along the way, I had never really felt like I was spending my time and effort doing something that I felt I was really, really good at. I, you know, I did a lot of good things, but I never felt that connection. So I was introduced to coaching by way of meeting a, a lady that specializes in helping uh, industry executives find that perfect small business for themselves. And when she did that, and when I started looking into it and reading about it and studying the different coaching models, I realized that I had found what I had been looking for my entire adult life. Now, when you were in those kind of um, large companies, were you coached at all? Was coaching part of their process of um, kind of working with their employees? Interestingly enough, coaching was around. I have to tell you that uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s, even up through the early 90s, coaching was still kind of something that the, the big muckety mucks would engage in. You know, your Fortune 500 CEOs that were a lot of times in front of uh, stockholder meetings or the public, or they'd be on the media, you know, and so they got coaching, but it never really got down to the more operating leadership ranks, unless you were in a situation where they really loved you as a person, but felt you were really struggling in your role. So as a result, the only kind of coaching that I ever got exposure to was during week-long events where I would go to some leadership program, you know, in another state, and you'd have coaches work with you kind of on a, an ad hoc basis. So I never really had one on a regular basis. And it wasn't until I left that whole industry and started working with people on the other side of the fence that I recognized just how powerful it was. And I kind of wished looking back that I had had more of that experience when I was growing up through the ranks. Now, when you decided to go out on your own and pursue coaching, did you consider um, consulting? Because that's a common 
uh, path for a lot of folks that are leaving corporate. Yes. And in fact, I will be honest with you early on, I got the two confused and what I realized over time and through a lot of mentoring and, and advising from the people around me was consulting was actually an area that I probably could have done well in. But when you're a consultant, you're doing most of the work. I mean, that's why companies hire you. They bring you in because you have an area of expertise that they either don't have or don't want to spend the time developing. They give you a, a, a problem. You create a project out of it. You know, you fix the problem, you hand them the keys and you leave. And I just didn't want to go there. I, what I found in, in most of the 30 years I worked in my former industry was the things that excited me the most was the interactions I was having with other people and what that did for them. So I chose coaching because, you know, coaching, it's all about the people. You're working on people. Consulting, you're working on projects. So now when you're working with somebody, what's the pain that they're having right before they call you? Are they just struggling with an issue? Are they frustrated? Like what's kind of their mindset before they hire a coach or you specifically? Well, for most people that I work with, what usually happens is it's a, it's kind of a journey of itself. They run into problems. Some they're able to fix, some they don't. Uh, Some keep showing back up. At some point, they try to find workarounds. Maybe that doesn't work. Eventually, they just decide there's no way out. I have to live with this. Well, if you live with something long enough that's getting in your way, it's preventing you from growing or developing or just getting a better result out of what you're spending all your waking hours trying to do, that's where the frustration and the overwhelm starts to get in. And that's usually the time when either the individual says, you know what, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I have to go out and find somebody to help me get over this hump. Or what I find quite frequently is it's the coachee, the person I work with is not the person that first contacts me. It's somebody in their inner circle. It could be a spouse, could be a business partner. It could be someone in their management ranks or in a kind of an associate role, like an executive secretary, executive assistant, who sees from a third party standpoint what's going on every single day. The person's just knocking their head against the wall and nothing's happening. They're the ones that finally just stand up and say, look, I've been watching you go through this problem for years and you need to do something about it. We need to go outside and find somebody to help you. You'd be amazed at how many times I get calls from people that aren't the person I'm going to work with, but they're the person who sees the problem and is trying to help them do something about it. And they must be, or at least be self-aware enough to agree with that assessment from their friend or spouse or colleague. Yes. And that's why I talked a little bit about that journey, because early on, people are very resistant to that kind of advice coming from any number of people in their inner circle. Typically, they want to just kind of, you know, burrow down and just slog through it because they can get past it on their own without doing anything different. And it's only over time and fatigue that they finally realize, okay, I can't be the only one that's having this problem. And yet they may see people in their community that they don't think are half as good at running a business as them that are doing two and three times the amount of business and they're scratching their heads saying, how can they do that? And I can't. And that's at the point when they start to soften up a bit and realize, I need help figuring this out. So now in your practice, it sounds like you have a mix of executives, you have a mix of entrepreneurs. Um, Is that about right? Yeah, I, I have primarily two paths. I either work with people that own businesses, and it could be from an entrepreneurial kind of startup phase 
Most of the time, it's people that have been in the business a while. Uh, they might have run the business anywhere from five to 15, 20 years. I'm getting a lot lately now that are kind of within five years of offloading the business, but the, it's a matured business. And they've gotten to a point where they just don't know where to take it anymore. They've lived with a kind of a sedate situation for so long, they've run out of ideas. So that's the business, that's the business owner model. The other one is the executive coaching, which is pretty much all leadership and people and, 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 and things of that nature. And I work with a lot of uh, companies that are fairly large scale. They may not be located here in Southern California, but they've always got divisions here in Southern California that are run by, in, you know, by people in kind of disparate locations. Many times it's those folks running these divisions that are thousands of miles away from the, help, the home quarters that run into problems because they're operating by themselves or they're overseeing an organization by themselves and they're not all that well connected to the home front. So now in those situations, how do you kind of come in and, and help them understand that they're not really on an island, that there is kind of infrastructure there to help them? Um, typically, when I get invited in to work with somebody like that, I ask them to sit down and, number one, tell me what it is their division does. What, you know, what, what part in this grand play uh, are they responsible for? And then once they tell me that, I ask them, how are you connected to the rest of the company? What is it you do that the rest of the company relies on? And, you know, over time, people forget about things like that. You get so myopic in terms of what's in front of you, you start to forget that maybe the reason you're here is because the rest of the organization actually depends on you for some particular element of what you do. So here's a good example. A couple of years ago, I worked with a, a general manager that ran a, a technology division out here in Southern California. The company was headquartered in Houston. They were the largest company on the planet for creating undersea drilling rig, uh, rig equipment. So companies that go and drill you know, down on the sea and, and pull oil out, these guys were the ones that built the equipment and the computer systems that ran the equipment. And this guy out here in Southern California, he actually developed most of the software that the rest of the company operated with. But because he was so niche in the business, that's all he did. And of course, the rest of the company was like $6 billion. So they did a lot of stuff that many times he got so enmeshed in the, in the software problems that he forgot that he was actually the guy that was supporting much of what the rest of the company did. And the company actually called me in and said, look, we need you to help him. He's very, very valuable to what we do, but his leadership ability has just plummeted. I mean, you know, his organization's kind of falling apart and it was just, it was his focus. That really was the problem. He was going back to his technical days of being an engineer and forgetting about leading the rest of the organization he was responsible for. Yeah, that misalignment can be devastating to an organization if it's not Absolutely. corrected. Now, um, we've, you know, we're coming through COVID and there's been a lot of chaos and change in a lot of organizations why do you think it is that change is so hard? And um, are there anything you've learned that can help people kind of manage their way through it? Yeah, change is difficult for the most part because it creates a feeling of unknown. You know, I may not like the way I'm living. I may not like the way I'm performing or the outcome that I'm getting, but it's a known quantity. I know that every day when I get up and do my typical routine, I'm comfortable with that because that's what I've always done. 
if I change that routine, I don't know what I'm going to get. And unfortunately, we as human beings tend to go negative more than positive. So any introduction of change in your behavior, in your thinking, in your, your ideology, what you believe in, which, which drives much of what you do, any change like that, people immediately think, okay, if I change it, I'm going to lose something. I'm, I'm, something's going to happen. I'm going to be in some kind of a setback position. So rather than do that and risk losing, I'll just live with the devil I know. And then when you live with the devil, you know, um, that's good for a second, but changes everywhere every day. Like there's no, you can't, you can't, uh, right. Right. you can't eliminate change. Like that's just part of the deal. That's right. And so typically one of two things happens and and I'm, I'm a big proponent of the 80, 20 rule. Okay. So in in most cases, 20% of the population or people in business will see change as an opportunity to improve, to gain, to, to, to create and to be more successful. The other 80% will see it as a loss. You know, if I change, uh, something's going to happen. So with those folks, what you basically have to do is help them understand what they're losing now by not doing anything. Because if you're in a situation where you're not getting what you want or things are not working the way you think they should be, and you're not changing, you're, you're losing. You may not realize it, but staying pat causes you to lose. And sometimes when you get people to realize that, and there's methods to do this, but what I've realized is most of the time, people, it, like you, you probably had this situation before, where you know somebody, they're a personal friend, there's somebody in business, and you see them doing certain things over and over again. They might even tell you, you know, Lee, I can't figure out why this doesn't work. And you walk away thinking, I see why it doesn't work. They're doing X, they're getting Y. They, that's, that's the problem. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's hooked to what they're doing or what they're thinking or how they're interacting. The way you get people out of that is by putting them in that third-party view, getting them to be able to see in themselves what people around them are seeing. And once they do that, you'd be amazed at how their vision changes. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay, I see what you're talking about. People could have been telling them that for years, and it doesn't sink in. But when you change the viewpoint, you get people to look at themselves differently. All of a sudden, those those internal thoughts about protecting yourself, protecting your integrity, your value, your self-worth – tend to get put on the sideline because you're just looking at it the way everybody else does. And so when you get them to that point, now they're a little more receptive to saying, okay, I understand what I'm doing. That's not serving me. Well, let's talk about what I need to change or do differently in order to get a better outcome. But everybody has those kind of blind spots and they're obvious when someone points them out. Uh, But most people have, have these loops that they just kind of go through on autopilot that they don't even see that so it ta- it takes a coach or somebody from like you said a third party to give them a different perspective a lot of times yes and and one of the things and, and again this this is not something that i invented this is something that most all coaches that are really good at what they do just recognize when and you again you and a lot of other people i know at least one time in your life have had this experience you can talk to someone and they can, you know, be just be muttering on about some problem that they that they can't fix or something that's just causing them, you know, pain and suffering. And you might just throw out the answer 
give them some advice. Say, hey, why don't you do this, this, or that? Well, if they're not in a position of being ready to hear that and really take it in and think about it, first thing they're going to do is dismiss it. And they'll come up with all kinds of excuses or other things, other underlying things they haven't shared yet as a reason for dismissing why that idea is going to work. But yet, if you ask people enough questions to get them to think deeper about the situation they're in and things they've thought about, and they come up with a solution, now they own it. People will own what they create. People don't necessarily want to take ownership for stuff other people give them. Right. So that kind of self-authorship and helping them kind of self-discover the answer is the objective but sometimes aren't people just aren't ready or they're not willing to pay the price. Uh, they don't want that trade-off, whatever that trade-off is going to be from the old way to the new way. Yes, they do. And um, that's, one of the, that's one of the chief reasons why in, in the, my business, which I've had now for 13 years, I do almost no selling. Okay. I market a lot of what I have. I give away an incredible amount of information for free. Because I've realized that getting people to a point where they recognize something has to change and they need to get help from the outside to do that is a timeline. And if you hit somebody at the wrong point, you're just, you're, all of your stuff is falling on deaf ears. You've got to almost kind of tease them up a little bit and keep showing them the way until they decide to put their hands on the steering wheel. When they're that, at that point, now you have somebody you can work with. But up until that point, you've got somebody that's basically uncoachable. And that's great advice for people in all industries. And no matter what they do, that really goes beyond coaching. Like you said, it goes into selling as well. You, you can't just keep selling someone who doesn't want to be sold. If they're not ready for your solution, it, it just is not a good fit. And you can part friends and, and see each other down the road. But you don't have to kind of, I think my partner calls it, force a string uphill. Like you can't... Um, <laughs> You know, at some point, they have to want it more than you do. That's exactly right. And I run into every single week, I run into really smart, passionate, driven people who have built businesses that offer solutions for which there is no problem. Right. And that takes, and then there's so much sunk cost, it's hard for them to kind of pull back and really understand that truly. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I had a conversation with a lady that was referred to me this morning before before our, our show today. And she was the epitome of that. She had invested 20 years and a lot of experience, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort into building what she had. And she realized that she was putting all of her resources in the wrong bucket. And she was so invested, you know, in, 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 in Vegas terms, she was pot committed that she just could not see any way out. Now, you know, there is a way out. Everybody, there's a way out for that kind of stuff. But you have to be able to back away from your own personal investment long enough to, again, have that third party observation and say, gee, if, if, I, if one of my friends had this exact same problem, what would I tell them how to do? Well, it's, it's easy. We all tell other people what they should do. But a lot of times we don't want to take our own advice. Now, you um, kind of grew up in the world pre, I guess, coaching for for the masses, because I, I, I think now coaching is available pretty much to anybody at any stage of their career or their life. Yes. Yes. Do, do you see this now in the corporate world as coaching is just kind of part of what sh what an employee should get, no matter what stage they're at? Not, I mean, not only like you mentioned for those high performer, high potential people, but just kind of 
for the team because that helps everybody, uh, you know, this kind of knowledge and this kind of ability to solve problems and to have fresh eyes looking at things. I don't see a negative of this, and I and I think it's happening more and more, but you're kind of in this world a lot more than I am. Are you seeing more and more companies kind of offering coaching as a, I don't even want to say a perk, but just as a uh, benefit to their employees? Yes, I am. I, I'm seeing a lot more companies that have professional business-to-business style services where the average person that's working for them is not somebody that's making minimum wage or a little above minimum wage or somebody you would call kind of semi-skilled. These are all people with educations behind them that are doing important work. But somewhere along the line, there's miss, there's something missing, okay, which is which is preventing them from performing at their true potential. So I'm seeing a lot of companies that are doing more things on an ongoing basis. It's not just, gee, come in for a month and do this and, and hopefully it sticks. Uh, they've They've kind of started to realize that professional development can yield massive returns if you stay with it and do it long enough. So yes, that I am seeing a trend that goes in that way. But what I'm also realizing is that there's a lot of different ways that you can keep people engaged and at the forefront of their own development. And sometimes coaching isn't necessary. Sometimes companies can bring coaches in to help people over significant humps, you know, get them to that next level to where they're confident and they're operating on a regular basis. Coach, you don't always have to have a coach to keep them there. Sometimes other things you can do, like establish a mentor program, can do a great job of keeping people, you know, in a in a in a top flight situation because now they feel like they have somebody inside the company that they can go to and get advice and suggestions and feedback and things like that. So I always recommend to companies be strategic about how you use your professional development dollars. You know, if you don't have a mentor program, I can help you develop one, but but put one in place. You know, bring in training when it's some kind of substantive things people don't know but have to learn. But if it's now a personal development problem or a mindset problem or some other behavioral limiting problem, you want to coach for that. Yeah, I'll never forget what a, an HR professional told me when we were doing a show on that topic was um, people, uh, some, some uh, leadership is afraid that if you train them and coach them up, they'll leave. And then this person said, what if you don't train them and coach them up and they stay? Yeah, <laughs> that's, and, and you know what, when, now see, when people hear stuff like that, it changes fundamentally how they think, because now they're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, if I don't do something with these people and they hang around and, you know, if you have a business in California, it's really, really difficult to fire people. Um, you know, what's that going to do to my business? Worse yet, what is that going to do to the rest of the team that sees what's going on and has realized I have chosen to do nothing about it? Right. And I I think it speaks also of their culture and their values. You know, if they're willing to invest in coaching people up and making them the best they can be, whether they stay or not, it, it speaks to, to kind of the DNA of the organization. Absolutely. I've worked with a large scale commercial printing company a couple of years ago, and the kind of people that they needed with certain levels of, of skill and expertise were not easy to find in the general market. And so their philosophy was, if we can get someone who's got the basics, we'll spend whatever we need to tune them up and get them to be a really good operator in the, in the role that they've signed on for. And if we can keep them for four or five years, then it's been worth it. 
And so they, they had a really good mindset about getting enough of a return on their people investment, but recognizing that eventually people leave, they take, you know, the competitors see what's going on and they go, they go buy them away basically. And they were okay with that because they had a system in place to constantly develop and bring their bench strength up on a regular basis. Right. And that's, I would imagine, something that your team could help uh, folks with to help them implement something like that. And knowing that if they have that growth mentality, it's okay. This is not like, don't look at it as a betrayal. This is just part of the deal. Yes. Yes. And, and, and most of the time, and here's another thing that I find is part of that kind of limited mindset that a lot of us fall prey to. And it's the whole idea that who we have now is the best. All right. They might be good in the moment. They might be everything you need to run your business really well. And if you lose them, the first thing you think is, oh, my gosh, how are we going to replace them? What are we going to do? It's that loss mentality that, that people tend to get drawn to. And what I find over and over again is if you approach the replacement process right, either by training and developing from within or by knowing exactly where to go and who to look for when you're in that kind of recruiting mode, Many times people bring in new people and within six months, they're thinking, oh my God, I didn't realize there was the people that were that we bring on were that good. All of a sudden, they've got people in place that are doing as good or better than the people that left. And I think that um, when you have this culture of, of with this growth mindset and of coaching people up and helping them be the best they can be, guess what? Their friends are like them. And their yes. friends that they're going to refer into the organizations are like them. And those people are going to want to stick around a place where their friends and like-minded people are. And everybody's going to win um, if you kind of lean into this. Well, not only does, does that happen, but the other thing I find, and this is a big topic that's been going on for probably a good five years now, maybe more, are companies that are always talking about culture, you know, how did our culture come to be the way it is? What do we have to do to make it a better culture or a productive culture, an energizing culture, creative, whatever it is you're doing in the industry that you're in? And a lot of times what people forget about is if you start training folks up and they become good at what they do, or you bring in a couple of people from the outside that are really high quality individuals, you basically take the rest of the organization up automatically. Because now as people look around during their day and they see what other people are doing, what they're getting from it, it forces them to say, I need to take my game up. And if you come up with a very high-powered, interactive, engaging culture, you attract people from the outside who look at your company and say, I want to be a part of that team. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, Steve, thank you so much for sharing your story today. If there's somebody out there that wants to learn more about your organization or, or get on the calendar with you or somebody on your team, what's the website? Uh, the website is www.growth, G-R-O-W-T-H, growthsourcecoaching.com. Uh, if you go there, you can learn about me, about the services, about my areas of specialty, and I've got a whole bunch of free stuff that people can tap into because I'm a big believer in sharing everything that I have to get people really, really calm and confident about what they would be walking into if they decide to bring me on board to help them. All right. Well, thank you again for sharing your story. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate being on. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you next time on Coach the Coach Radio. Yeah.